Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Buenos dias, Jeff. On today's show, we're up to the minute as we're recording right after the Mets finish losing another game. Today's long slog of a game to the Houston Astros. That just finished, so NLT is up to the minute, and we will talk about the 2023 Mets. And boy, are there so many ways that things have gone wrong. So many different negative aspects to this team. Anything we say today is with the knowledge that these Mets are capable of playing better and winning more games. With the bloated playoff format, the regular season has less meaning, as we saw last year when the Phillies made the playoffs by one game on the last day of the season and still won the pennant. That could happen this year, and according to Fangraphs, the Mets are six and a half games out of the third wildcard spot with six teams ahead of them for that third spot. So Fangraphs gives them only a 24% chance of making the playoffs. So as they said in the movie, yes, we're saying there's a chance, but it doesn't feel like that as we watch their sonambulant performances day in and day out. Greg, you recently wrote that this might simply be a 500 team that is still capable of having a hot streak to get to the 87 or 86 wins that would get them into the postseason. They're currently six games under 500. Do you still feel that way? Well, that recently was about two weeks ago. Uh, I have to feel that way only because what's the point of playing the rest of the season if you're not completely eliminated, either mathematically or conceptually? I feel a lot less that way than I did two weeks ago. I believe that was after the Atlanta series when it became genuinely clear that first place is a pipe dream, a pipe dream of a fantasy. At the time, I think the Mets were three games out of the wild card third slot. And I said, in so many words, you know, that's your target. Go get them. Well, they've fallen back further since then. More teams have passed them. And there's really nothing to say if you're not going to play better. The leader of this team, the manager, said when this started being chronic, they got to play better. We got to play better. I agree. Got to play better. That's really all there is. So there are various aspects to why this season has gone so badly. A nightmare, as I discussed on a previous show. Let's try to break it down because it's not just one thing. And let's start with injuries. Let's be generous here and start with injuries. Everything changed when Diaz got hurt in that stupid tournament. There were supposed to be five solid relief pitchers, including the best closer in baseball. And then there were four. So that meant three, not two, interchangeable relievers. And we've had a myriad of relief pitchers filling those three spots. And then with the starting pitching going only five innings, that gave those interchangeable and mostly forgettable relievers more importance. It all began with the Diaz injury. And this leads to further injuries. Before the season began, the Mets lost Diaz, Rayleigh, Quintana, and Verlander. Remember Gary on opening day? Hey, it's opening day. Welcome, Mets fans. Justin Verlander's on the injured list. And then in short order, they lost Carrasco. With all the injuries to the starting pitching, 
that meant more of McGill and Peterson. So you can't can't discount injuries as a factor. Every team has injuries. Get over them. So the fact that they've had more injuries probably than anybody else, you're not using that as an I don't excuse. know. I don't know that they have. I don't follow every other team's injured list. I know the, the Astros have lost their most important hitter, and they just took two out of three from the Mets. Uh, you got to get over it. I don't mean you have to get over it. I just mean, I mean the Mets have to get over it. The, a lot of the injuries you mentioned, other than Diaz, have healed. It put them in a hole. You're absolutely right. But it's late June. And I, you know, I appreciate the looking for root causes, but Raleigh is here. Verlander is here. You know, some fringe relief pitchers still aren't here. Quintana isn't here. You know, we lost Alonzo for eight games. He came back, but on him. It's rough. But every team goes through this. Didn't the Phillies start the season without Bryce Harper? They're doing okay. Braves have had injuries, I'm pretty sure. Every team has them. Uh, it's a factor. Every team has them. The guys who were there, and there's always a core of players who were capable. I think you used the word capable at the beginning of this. It's a capable team. Show, the, show that capability. Play better. And they haven't. Diaz's injury, though, I think really set the tone for what happened this season. But as you said, that's not an excuse. And boy, the players are good at coming up with excuses. They're good at facing the camera and saying, yeah, we're not playing well. We need to play better. But excuses, excuses. The players are not getting the job done. In 2022, no one had a career year. But this year, few are even having a year resembling their past history. They're playing sloppily, getting pitch clock violations, including today, and have had two suspensions. Just look at what happened in the first inning of Wednesday's game with that dopey base running mistake by Pete and the catcher's interference by Nevarez. Only Nimmo, Pete, and Fam are hitting well, and Lindor should be fine. But there isn't one player who gets in the batter's box and makes you confident of a positive result. And from the pitchers, not one Mets pitcher has a war of one or more. The team's cumulative hitting war is 14th, which is average. Not great. It's average. But the pitching cumulative war is 28th in baseball. To me, pitching is the number one reason why they are six games under 500. Yeah, the, the pitching is the number one problem. Listen, you, you can call them excuses and you can call them explanations. It's nice that they stand there and say, my bad, in so many words. Uh, I'm sure they'd rather be saying, oh, it wasn't just me who helped us win the game. The whole team did. They're not playing that way. I'm, I'm going to point out something that's actually a positive about starting pitching. They've had an actual rotation for about a month, slightly longer, I think. The same five guys have started in rotation every five games. The off days have helped certain guys don't want to pitch on the fifth day or aren't as effective. So you know we're no longer kind of groping around for that sixth and seventh starter. We're no longer calling the guy up from AAA. We're no longer trying to get by with an opener. So that that's positive. The unpositive, I think there's a word for that, the negative, <laughs> is a lack of consistency. You need to have, this is a very scientific estimate on my part, uh, for every three starts, any given starter gives you, two of them have to be, give you a chance to win. And we're not seeing that for the most part. McGill can give you a really good start one out of three. 
Carrasco can give you a credible start at this stage of his career. One out of three. Senga is about one and a half out of three. And the two guys you're truly counting on are walking, aging, question marks. Each of them, Verlander and Scherzer, have given the Mets in the last month brilliant starts, but not consistently brilliant starts. And that's a lot to ask for, except if your names are Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. It has to have something to do with age, with getting used to whatever is new in the game in terms of the pitch clock, and just getting past the aches and pains and everything else that will hit you. Again, great pitchers, capable of giving you great games. But as I think back on great pitchers who have come to the Mets late in their career, going all the way back to Warren Spahn, for Christ's sake, you're going to get really good starts and you're going to be reminded that somebody's in his late 30s or early 40s. And when you combine the age factor with the adjustment factors, with the perhaps nagging injuries factor, this is going to happen. And again, you know, much like citing war, you know, we're just telling you what has happened. I can't tell you why it's happened. I can only make inferences. You know, I've given you my inferences on, on those two guys. I think Carrasco is just at a, a part of his career where he's no longer capable of bringing it every fifth day. I think McGill, I don't think McGill, I know you you have in the past kind of dismissed him as sort of a minor league or at least a 4A pitcher. He's just not there yet. Either you, you ride or die with that or you just say, oh, well, let's get somebody else in here. And Senga, I think we always knew it was going to be something of a, I don't want to say project because that that implies really not very good pitching. But there, there is going to be a work in progress aspect to Senga's adjustment period. And I think we've seen that. Really, though, you talked about confidence in your hitters. Are you confident five days in a row with these guys? I'm confident that, that they're taking the ball. And that's fantastic compared to what we've seen in recent last year, early this year. It's great that they have that those five guys. It would be greater if they could all go at least six innings every single time out. And just when it begins to feel like, hey, we're getting some length out of these guys, you get a game like you got out of McGill in the last game in Houston and too many other games to count this year. If you can't get the six innings on a fairly regular basis, you know, we understand baseball in 2023 is not a length from the starter type of game, but it's possible. And they do get it sometimes. They've probably gotten more than, than we might have expected. But if you're not getting that, of course, the bullpen is going to be leaned on. And then we always wind up circling back to everybody, you know, moving up one slot because Diaz, as you put it, was in the stupid tournament and uh, was the MVP of the stupid tournament because it never felt more stupid than watching Diaz uh, limp away uh, for several months. So when the Mets win, historically, it's about pitching. When any team wins, historically, it's about pitching. Let's not ma make this just a uh, local jurisdiction. Uh, they haven't gotten enough of it, and especially from the two guys who were, and I hate to go there, were paid a lot of money to be those guys, to be themselves, to be guys who they've been not 10 years ago, but, you know, the American League Cy Young winner from last year. And the guy who was on track to be that kind of pitcher last year in the National League. And you're, you're just not getting it on a regular basis. And I, I don't know what that's a matter of how you fix that. 
I think you made a comment earlier in the season when Verlander went six and gave up three runs and everyone was happy that he went six innings. And I think you commented, is that what we're supposed to get from Carrasco, not from Verlander? Uh, all you can do is go with what you got in a given night. Listen, Verlander's had some terrific outings. He was terrific in the Subway Series, for example. Justin Scherzer was, was terrific the uh, first night of the Houston Series. When you have pitchers of that caliber, I, I think maybe, I don't know if the organization turned a blind eye to it or we as fans turned a blind eye to it. But again, going back going back to Warren Spahn and through the likes of of Pedro Martinez and Tom Glavin and anybody who is you know a truly great pitcher but comes here late in his career, you sort of just have to accept that they're not who they were. You'll get some of that, and there might be a net positive from the impact they have on other pitchers. Remember last year, we, we kept hearing about, oh my God, Max Scherzer is such a positive influence on everybody else. Let's all gather around and listen to Uncle Max, you know, tell us what he threw in the last seven innings. And the, the young pitchers were learning from it and everybody was benefiting from it. And, and all of that, you know, th those competencies might still be there. They're just not pitching as well. And it's just not as easy for him to say, I'm Max Scherzer. I own a mansion and a yacht and I can throw seven or eight shutout innings anytime I want. And if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't my team, uh, it would be kind of fascinating to watch him struggle and, and perhaps solve it and give more good outings than not. But, you know, we're not that interested in it as much as where's the results. I think we're fans. We're entitled to ask, where's the results? For $43 million, we are entitled to look for those results. And while they are older pitchers, they're still being paid a lot to lead the staff. Verlander coming off a Cy Young and a World Series championship. And the Mets have made concessions to their age by giving them extra days off, which meant more of McGill. And if I called McGill a 4A pitcher after today, I think I was being generous. Peterson's getting shelled every fifth night in Syracuse, so he's not even close to being ready. But the Mets, even with the injuries to Carrasco and Quintana, threw in Peterson, threw in McGill, also extended the rotation so Senga could be on the schedule he was used to. And Max and Justin have not stepped up. So to me, pitching, a primary reason. Let's talk about Buck. In our preseason show, Greg, you said that Buck was going to be on the hot seat sometime this season. I think Steve took him off that seat when he said, I'm not doing anything during the year. You can't find good people during the year. I don't work that way. So he's not on the hot seat, at least not in the media. But is Buck doing a good job? He didn't become a bad manager over the winter. Let's break it into two parts for this discussion. He is making many bad decisions looking ahead to September or tomorrow rather than managing the game in front of him. He did that last year, and it might have cost the team the division, even though the team was much better. This year, he's making bad moves that the team can't overcome, such as pitching to Vlad Jr. with a base open to get a more favorable matchup in a 10th inning that didn't happen because he pitched to Vlad Jr. And as recently as Sunday, when he removed Robertson after only eight pitches for Adovino, with the rationale that he didn't want to be shorthanded in the next game if he had used Robertson for two innings. Well, he didn't need Robertson on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. 
and they lost that game on Sunday. How about winning today's game instead of playing for a situation that might not occur at all? He's managing for an October that might not happen. Greg, has Buck failed to adjust his methods to these players and to this season? I think if these moves had worked out, we'd be talking about a guy who has eyes in the front and the back of his head, who is prescient, the sort of thing that Gil Hodges is still praised for because he was always managing three innings ahead, they like to say. You have faith in your players. Your players have to come through. You do have to plan for the 10th inning if the 10th inning is a possibility. You do have to plan for Monday because there's a game Monday. You don't always have to do it, I suppose. It hasn't worked this year. Last year for you know approximately three quarters of a season, a little longer maybe, You know everything Buck touches turns to, if not gold, then for the most part, valuable stuff great manager impossible to imagine fans would be kind of griping about this year not everything is working i don't think it's a matter of putting it on the players or putting it on the manager because they're all in it together in the in which case if we're going to say the players are not coming through the manager isn't coming through either but he you know again can't can't swing that bat can't throw that pitch sometimes you have to rely on the guys you put in and yeah you do have to say if i can't if I, if I use Robertson today, I can't use him tomorrow. I didn't like the taking Robertson out in that game on Sunday. Uh, I believe you're talking about with, against the Cardinals, Ottavino, or Saturday, I think maybe it was. Whichever. they all, Sunday. They all blur together. Ottavino's got to get an out. All bullpens are sort of unreliable in that way. All bullpens have a soft underbelly. All bullpens are constructed because there are guys who have options and you're kind of trusting a guy you don't want to trust. And at the moment you're trusting one fewer guy because Drew Smith managed to have sticky hands, whether he did or not, I don't know, but that was the ruling and he was suspended. Is Buck ultimately the guy who's going to lead this team out of its current morass, going to make the right moves? Will the players respond to him? That's one of those things I have no idea. Based on last year, which this most decidedly is not, uh, I have confidence in Buck. I have confidence in Buck from having been around as long as Buck has been and being as revered as Buck is in this game. Buck may be managing in a different zone, though, now than was available to him last year. I, I get the feeling. Last year was a matter of keeping guys fresh, listening to the clubhouse, communicating, all those things, which are very important. Uh, You wonder, and I have no idea if this actually happens anymore, you wonder to what extent a manager has to say, hey, guys, we got to win, let's go, or or something like that. I don't know if that's his core competency. I don't know if that's what is needed here. Uh, I think we're better off with Buck than with whoever the hell the alternative would be at this time of year. But He's not having a great year either. No, he certainly isn't. And we have to ask, has Buck lost the room as was supposed to have happened elsewhere? Sloppy play. Boy, has this team been sloppy. There have been two suspensions and numerous mental mistakes, such as Nimmo trying to steal second in the ninth inning while down two runs. I get it. Players are human and humans make mistakes. But Buck has gained much of his reputation on having his players learn and follow the rules and the situations, and that's not happening this year. 
Again, look at the first inning today. If Buck's going to get credit for running a tight ship, then he has to at least get some of the blame when the players play this badly. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think the players, I don't think the players are incapable of playing better. I think that there is probably a sense of we need to do whatever we can this moment and their instincts or their hearts or whatever the hell it is, is ahead of their heads. Adam Adovito picking up the ball with his glove and flinging it too high to get the guy from third on the safety squeeze. Pete Alonso running somewhere near the mound on his way to first <laughs> base. Again, some of uh, what's uh, Josh Walker making a terrible throw that goes into the dugout, gives the Astros an extra base. All in a game where you're already walking everybody. You're not driving in runners on base, and you're being stymied by great Astro defense in left field. I think there is just a sense of we have to do whatever we can do right now. I don't think it's for lack of trying. One one of the things I still appreciate about this team is you don't see guys, for the most part, putting their heads down, popping up, slamming the bat down, not running to first. Uh, everything for the most part gets a run out. I know this is very minimal stuff, but we've seen Mets teams lose their way and lose their will to compete. We'll, we'll just show up. I, I think these guys are still there. I would hope that in the weeks ahead, and I and I would use you know here to the All Star break as my barometer. These screws, if you will, are tightened. I don't mean that in the uh, sticking it to them more, but just you know it it, it feels like a a loose operation. I don't know if, again, if that's a because the manager isn't putting his foot down or just that people aren't taking the time to to think things through and be coached and whatever else. I really hope that there's a deep breath and they say, okay, how do we not only play better, play smarter, be the, be the major league players that we've been and we are and we are capable of being because otherwise there's just, you know, the, the rest of the season is simply a matter of I like baseball. I'll turn it on. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy hearing about it. And I will have no expectations. I'm pretty close to having no expectations right now. And I can't move away from Buck without calling him on that terrible comment he made during the Atlanta series when they blew three run leads in three straight games. And Buck said he was proud of his team. That's what I used to say when I managed nine and 10 year olds after they lost 15 to 12. I used to say, I'm proud of you. You don't say that to major leaguers. I'm proud of this team. That comment was close to we battled. Yeah, no, nobody wants to hear uh, the reincarnation of Art Howe. I agree with that. Um, I imagine Buck says those things. <clears throat> the idea that if he comes out and says to the press, boy, my guys suck tonight. They really got to get their act together. He has a sense that that doesn't play particularly well. And he will take the hit in saying, well, fans really don't want to hear that. Um but he also has to, I almost felt like a, a thin layer of sarcasm to that. There had to be, because he can't be that unaware. That to say, I'm really proud of them. Yes, they they fought back. They were behind and they scored runs. Uh, I think that's what you're supposed to do. And the trade deadline is coming up on August 1st. Fans are already looking ahead. But part of the blame for this season is on Billy Epler, who failed to get a power bat in the lineup. We talked about that on this show. If Greg and Jeff know the Mets need a power bat, then Billy Epler has to know that. And he didn't get one. Maybe he tried. Maybe the price was too high. Maybe they wanted Alvarez for it. 
but he didn't get one. So he gave us essentially the same offense as last year with the assumption that everyone would repeat or get better. I'm looking at you, Jeff McNeil. Clearly that hasn't happened. So some of the blame for this season goes on Billy Epler. Sure. Get a better team. Listen, they tried to get Carlos Correa. I mean, he was the power bat. It may not be working for him every day in Minnesota. And we have no idea whether it would have worked in New York. Can't say he didn't try to get one. Plan B was, well, let's let's get Brett Beatty in there eventually at that particular position. I think you know, some expectations have not been lived up to uh, until the last three or four days, how, whenever it was that Daniel Vogelback came back. He gave you nothing. Now he seems to be somewhat locked in. Ought to be, because that's his job, hitting. McNeil has been invisible. Uh, everybody else has been very up and down, if we're going to put it kindly. So you and I and a lot of people were excited when they signed McNeil to a long-term extension, when they signed Nimmo to a contract that would keep him here, that we knew that there were certain others who were coming back. Maybe a little disingenuous of us to say, why did you stick us with these players? These were the players we, for the most part, liked and cheered the fact that they were going to be here. Uh, could Billy Epler have had a better outcome to whatever his efforts were? Absolutely. That's clear now. Remember, we went in to the edge of the season with Darren Ruff, still planned as uh, half the DH system. It hasn't worked for him either. And, you know, the trade deadline is one of those things, uh, a, a great placebo when it's this far away. Oh, we'll just get to the trade deadline and something will happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. But this is where, at least in season, to use a horrible cliche, the rubber will meet the road and we'll see if that there is any kind of a bat out there or for that matter, any kind of an arm out there, anything that they could use, they could use a lot. McNeil's bad season doesn't change the fact that it was the right move and we cheered the fact that they signed him to a long-term contract and I'm happy about that, but they did need a power bat behind Pete and he didn't get one. And last year at the trade deadline, he got us Vogel back, he got us rough and he's on the clock uh, for that august 1st so we'll see what he does there but let's conclude this discussion greg with some reasons to be cheerful if we can find one i would start with the babies and i hate that phrase by the way they're young men they played in the majors last year Beatty did vientos did Alvarez did. This isn't new to them. They didn't just get to City Field to look up and go, look how high the buildings are. They were they saw how high the buildings were last year. So they and they've Beatty and Alvarez have given us reasons to be optimistic. I don't know if Fientos had enough of a chance to show what he can do. We know that he can hit the ball hard, but we still haven't seen enough of Mauricio, despite all those nightly highlights from Syracuse. We look forward to seeing him. So I would say that the young players our reason for optimism. You kind of glossed over it. He didn't trade Alvarez. Epler, that is. Good for him for not trading Alvarez. Maybe they knew what they had. And as far as a, an additional power bat, Francisco Alvarez, for a season that started late and a season that the first few weeks were kind of clueless and where he wasn't necessarily entrusted with that many starts, has 12 home runs. Uh, he is kind of the power bat that they added. So I wouldn't dismiss that. Uh, but Francisco Alvarez is not necessarily coming out of the gate every night like 
Mike Piazza in 1993 or Buster Posey in 2010 or Johnny Bench in 1968. He's having a very encouraging first year, and I think he'll continue to get better. Brett Beatty is having a very encouraging first year. I think he's gotten really good on defense or at least a lot better than I expected. I mean, we had no expectations for Alvarez's defense, and for the most part, it has been solid. We didn't really see Vientos, and now he's back at Syracuse, and I guess they're still figuring out what to do with Mauricio. I imagine we'll see him in some capacity fairly soon. No, the the young Mets, the slightly experienced Mets, the not babies, uh, are coming along, and that is, that's great. Uh, is there a possibility that that will be the highlight of the season where, as fans, we know that sense of, oh, at least they're playing the kids. That could be where we are uh, by August. Uh, the good news is that they are here and that they are being major leaguers. They, The two guys who are on the roster, Alvarez and Beatty, who are playing most days, do not look lost. And if we are, in fact, building beyond this year, that's a great step up the rest of the team is you know experienced they're they're not all as old as the two co-aces but they've all been around and we kind of know what they have and all you can kind of hope for is that uh what is that phrase regression to the mean usually it means coming down in this case a lot of these guys are gonna have to come up so that gives me if not hope as in oh boy this is our year it gives me some sense of the season isn't completely over despite the way they've been playing. I don't know if you you caught this during the game, the second game in Houston. Since the Mets topped out, as far as up to now, at 14-7, and uh, third week in April thereabouts, they have the third worst record in baseball. The Royals, the A's, and then the Mets. And as I took that in, I went and looked at the overall standings, and you know, there are only about six or seven teams with worse records than the Mets in all of baseball. And that's not, you know, this team is not quite in that Royals, A's, Nationals, Rockies discussion, but they're sure as hell not in that Braves, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, dare I say Marlins discussion of a team to be taken seriously. They just need to, you know, this is my favorite cliche, one game at a time, win a game, their next game in Philadelphia, and figure out how to do that. Figure out how to have a good at bat in the top of the first. Uh, We'll say Brandon Nimmo because he's probably leading off. And then we'll worry about everything else. This team can't really afford to look ahead. I mean, yes, plan and game, you know, strategize trades, all those things that front offices do. And, 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 you know, look ahead if you're the manager in your off hours. But they just got to play better. And I think that just means the next game, the next pitch, the next at bat. And Scherzer and Verlander certainly, as we've said, haven't been good enough, but that should improve. So maybe Billy gets another starting pitcher at August 1st, and we'll see. I don't know how about you, Greg. I I find it hard to watch this team. You know, you use the phrase nightmare. I've been through some horrible, horrible net seasons. This is not hitting me like that. You know what they say in the commercials, baseball hits different here. For me... It's frustrating. It's unfortunate, dare I say, disappointing. But it's it's not, I, I hate to admit it, man. It's not bothering me as much as it probably should be. I don't know what that says about me and this stage of my life or whatever else is going on. I still enjoy these players. I still enjoy this manager. I still enjoy the feeling 
that we are in an era that is going to be more good than not good. Maybe the disappointment here is that we're not kind of extending what felt like momentum from last year. And I hate to keep invoking last year because Laura Albanese of Newsday wrote a really good story over the weekend saying in so many words, it ain't last year anymore. Stop looking to last year, referring to the Mets themselves. Stop stop saying we're going to come around because we were good last year. But you felt like you were, you know, you were in the future that we'd been waiting for after Wilpon and after, you know, juggling general managers and managers and all kinds of craziness. And now we kind of find ourselves having backslid. You know, I could accept 2021 as the year where they sort of let it go in August because we were heading somewhere. We were heading for 2022 and you kind of took 2022 as heading for 2023. And now, you know, again, slipping on banana peels, basically. And you have a little more than half a season to sort that out. And more importantly, maybe you find a way not to let that affect you after 2023. And you know, again, we you know, on the Scherzer-Verlander front, Steve Cohn has said, you know, ultimately, we, we want to be in a place where we're not having to make these sorts of free agent acquisitions. We want to be developing our own players, our own pitchers, and maybe they're a ways away from doing that. But if they're concentrating on that and they do have the resources to fill in where needed, I still feel good about that. So I still feel like I am in a generally positive time to be a Mets fan. So I'm not really sitting here and slapping my forehead and saying, how did they lose that game? Because I guess some of it just kind of has that feeling of, well, maybe this is just who they are. I'm just going to have to take it at face value. And and all the yelling and, and or quiet explaining you do or I do or any of us do, doesn't matter. They have to play better. Is it possible we're finally getting more mature? Uh, I'm working on it, maybe by accident, but it could be happening. <laughs> and before we end this show, I will point out that this is our 75th episode. Happy 75, Greg. I want to thank a few people for helping us get this far. The Royal Arctic Institute, specifically Lyle Heisen, for providing our theme music. John Newcomer, who made our beautiful logo. Dylan Heisen, our unofficial statistical advisor, our wonderful listeners, and of course, you, Greg. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, everybody who listens. Uh, I don't feel a day over 74 episodes. And we'll be back with number 76 next week on National League Town. We thank you for listening to the first 74, to this one, and to episodes in the future. Until next week, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, Let's go Mets. Copyright 2023 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.